What's going on, everyone, and welcome into this edition of B-Shape Daily Live, as today we get to break down a Cardinals win. How about that? 6-0 over the Giants on Thursday in San Francisco, as John Mozeliak and the rest of the Cardinals front office uh, sits behind the scenes trying to figure out how they can convince this team that every game they play is the final game of a series or a getaway day, because lately those are the only games they've been winning. Uh, but a win is what they needed today, and they found a way to get it 6 nothing behind a great performance from Miles Michaelis and some clutch hitting when uh, when this game went along. The first six of the six innings of the game, no runs were scored. The Cardinals score in each of the final three innings of the game to win this six to nothing. In the big swing, I felt like came from Alec Burleson. The uh, the home run that I sort of did predict earlier today when I was a little bit critical of the fact that he was in the lineup because my whole thing has been. What's your identity going to be, Cardinals? If you want to be a team that can support your pitchers with the best possible defense out there and maybe give a guy like Dylan Carlson an opportunity to get better offensively too, he would be the guy I would go with. I'd put him in center field every day. That was sort of my my calling card and, and the the uh, opinion that I have been espousing over the past few days. But Ali Marmol stuck to his guns. He says, we like the way Alec Burleson is swinging the bat. He had hit into some hard luck, uh, and that, that was the case already. I mean, the Cardinals... The number of the double plays, lineouts to first that this team has. You had, a, I guess it was Arenado on first in, in when it happened today. And it's just like, how often can this continue to happen? I've never seen a team hit into that level of bad luck. But the Cardinals are dealing with that alongside some of the just negligence on the field that we've seen from the team. Uh, Miles Michaelis allowing Tyrell Estrada to take second base off of him. The infielders weren't on top of it. Miles wasn't on top of it. And you see those kind of lackadaisical plays over the past few days that the Cardinals have made. So it's a combination of they've been having some bad luck go against them, and that's understandable. The the ball is going to bounce your way a number of times throughout the course of a season, but it also has seemed like the Cardinals have been uh, putting together some of those self-inflicted wounds too. And uh, that was another example of that today, but they got out of that inning when the, the stolen base happened off of Michaelis there early on, and he was able to cruise to what I would contend was the best start that we've seen from a Cardinals starter all season and you add in the timeliness of that start given the losing streak and the way things have been going uh, that's as clutch as it gets for miles michaels today six and a third scoreless innings uh, gave up just six base runners if you call it the four hits and the two walks six strikeouts gets the era below six which is good to see after a really rough start he has slowly been figuring it out a little by little miles michaels has been improving and i've been saying that the numbers don't reflect it yet but when you look at the starting rotation for the Cardinals, it's not as bad as it feels. And I think three or four days ago, I said, you look weeks down the road, we're not going to be talking about the rotation as the biggest problem for this team. It's going to be, can the offense consistently put it together? And I think that's a, a bigger question, honestly, at this point than the rotation, because you can isolate the issues within the rotation, honestly, down to one, maybe one and a half spots. Because I, I say a half spot because we don't know yet what Adam Wainwright's going to do when he comes back but he's basically in one of those five spots at this point. And three of the five, you feel pretty good about, at least I do, looking at it the way they're pitching right now. Jack Flaherty, Jordan Montgomery, Miles Michaelis, those guys are giving you some good work right now. And so you look at the other two spots, one of them's going to be occupied by Wainwright, the other one is Steven Matz. And that is one that I do think is a growing question mark because even though he is under contract for the next two seasons beyond this one, and it's like $11 million per year at that point, uh, I don't think the Cardinals can just go all summer and have him in the number five spot in the rotation if he doesn't turn around the production aspect of things, especially if you've got a guy like Matthew Libertor doing well in the minors. Uh, to his credit, Jake Woodford has battled and has done a decent job, 
in some of his recent outings as well. And so he's not looking to give up that spot. Now it's going to happen inevitably uh, unless they just switch uh, Mats and Woodford at this point and put Woodford uh, in, into the rotation more permanently after the Wainwright return. And maybe with Steven Mats, it's a case of um, they move him to the bullpen. I, like that's the one move that I think you could make if you're the Cardinals trying to figure out how to fix things and try to tweak things with the roster. There's not a lot that you can do right now, but that is one thing that if you said, hey, um, we're not going to give it till mid-May, we're going to say we're in dire straits and we just haven't seen enough improvement start over start from Steven Matz and we need somebody consistently in that spot and so we're going to make a move, it would be maybe a little bit knee-jerk considering the money that they owe him, but at the same time, uh, their evaluations can tell them what they need to know and if they feel like they're not seeing what they need to see from Matz, uh, I guess it would be a possibility. John Denton, I know, tweeted out earlier today that it's maybe something being mulled behind the scenes of at least perhaps skipping a Steven Matt start at some point. And so maybe that move could come sooner than later. Um, I would have expected they give him at least six weeks or so to try and work things out. But that's the one spot of the rotation that's that's not a Wainwright spot because we don't know what Wainwright's going to bring necessarily. He's got a track record, but you can't base it off of season performance yet because he hasn't pitched. And so that's one spot that's kind of on on standby TBD of how fans feel about it. I feel like um, I've said I'm not going to doubt Adam Wainwright, so we'll just we'll just go out and see what he does. But Stephen Matz's spot is maybe the one that you could circle. And so if you isolate the issues with the rotation down to that, it feels a little differently. The offense is a hard one to get around though because you've got nine guys on a given day. Uh, they sent out Jordan Walker to kind of simplify things in the outfield. Now you know it's really four guys for three spots, and even with that. Today was another day where you did not see Dylan Carlson in the starting lineup. Now, I had made a comment about that pregame. My two thoughts about the lineup today for the Cardinals were, I don't mind Paul DeYoung being in the lineup, but I think it's it's a change. We can't act like it's not a change from what they said was going to happen back in the spring, back in the winter, which was that DeYoung was going to be the utility guy for this team and Tommy Edmond was going to be their shortstop. They, they had a public vote of confidence behind Tommy Edmond, but now when DeYoung is back from the injured list, we're seeing it go the other way, which is fine. Tommy played a good second base today. He's a gold glover at that position, a former gold glover there. And so it, you know, there, it's not a major deal necessarily, but I like to highlight it because I felt like um, that wasn't the way that it was described in the offseason of what the roles would be. And that's fine. If they change their mind, they are at liberty to do that, absolutely. Um, but something that I did want to make note of, I do agree with DeYoung being in there. I said that earlier today on the Twitter spaces that we did. And obviously he pulls through with a big swing later on in that game to provide um, some, some very valuable insurance for a Cardinals team that when you're in those close games, you're leading by a run or two, it doesn't feel safe necessarily because of the way things have gone for this team lately. And so for DeYoung to be able to make that swing in that spot was key, and he's still hitting 471 in the limited sample this week that he's had with the club. Two for four today, a couple of runs scored, a couple of RBIs, and obviously uh, the, the big home run, his second of the season already. So that's great to see from DeYoung. But the other thing I was thinking about when it came to the lineup was, yeah, I would have had Dylan Carlson in there, and I was I look at the numbers by Alec Burleson and go, all right, he hasn't really done a whole lot offensively lately. I know they believe in him, but those numbers have begun to slide. And so I feel like it's okay to sit Alec Burleson every now and again, especially if you're going to make the argument, uh, which the team never did, but we talked about it in the public, that right field is a tough place to play at Oracle Park. And so if you look at the four guys remaining, I would say that even if he's not a terrible defender, probably the, the least of the four defensively in terms of range, would be Burleson out there. And and he's made some nice plays throughout this series as well, has had some moments that weren't so nice, uh, like you saw yesterday with the uh, collision between him and Lars Newtbar in right center field. And so those were the sorts of things that I was looking at. And then I realized what was going to happen. Well, now I'm being critical. 
there's no way Burleson doesn't go yard today. And so I tweeted that out, and then everybody had some fun with that after he did indeed hit that home run. And it was a big spot in the game for the Cardinals. Now, I don't think you get to that point without the play by Andrew Kisner. We got to talk about this play. Andrew Kisner has taken a lot of flack this season from Cardinals fans, and understandably because the numbers haven't been there offensively. And this goes back into spring training. He was rough in spring training at the plate as well. There was some some chatter about the, the idea that he might not be a lock to be the backup catcher on this roster with some of the other guys that were challenging in camp. I never really thought that would make a lot of sense, uh, and they ultimately did decide to go with Andrew Kisner. But in the early going, in, in his limited uh, duty, it's not been a very bright spot in terms of his offensive performance. But to come through the way that he did with that defensive play, which describes exactly the style of play that is, has been lacking somewhat from the Cardinals, where you can gain an extra edge by being aggressive. You can make a spectacular play to jumpstart your teammates. And the play he made to barehand the ball, pick it up, put it in his glove in order to dive back to home plate and make that tag to save a run. And then you get the line drive to right to end the inning right thereafter. That was a huge turning point in this game because if Miles Michaelis gives up that run and then maybe, a, you know, you maybe still get the second out, but um, a, a play isn't made somewhere else and suddenly it's one nothing, 2 nothing, 3 nothing, Giants. Does anybody think the Cardinals would have had the wherewithal to come back in that game and and kind of the gumption to come back in that game from an offensive standpoint when you're down? I'm not saying it wouldn't have unfolded. We don't know the butterfly effect of it all, but that felt like a momentum moment for the Cardinals. They didn't immediately capitalize on it by scoring, but in the seventh inning they were able to do so, and that was huge. I don't think the game unfolds the same way without that play by Andrew Kisner, and so uh, that was something I wanted to make sure to highlight before we jump right into the comments, which I'm going to do now. Uh, after I quickly ask for y'all to subscribe to the YouTube channel if you've never done so uh, and and give this stream a like so that we can get the uh, get the info out to the public there with with more uh, prominence. Uh, Trevor wants a rundown of the game. Hopefully I've given you some of that. Uh, Paul DeYoung, I mentioned with his home run, uh, just a nice job in the late innings too by the Cardinals to be able to, to add on the way that they did. Uh, I thought Henesis Cabrera looked good today. An inning in two-thirds, he gets a couple of strikeouts. He scatters base runners. That's kind of what Henesis Cabrera does. And you got to live with that sometimes, but he does buckle down when he needs to more often than not, especially lately. And so the couple of hits in the walk that he gave up, I was okay with all of it. It didn't feel like his outing was getting out of control at any point, at least not to me watching. Uh, I don't know how y'all felt, but I felt like that was a pretty, a pretty stable outing by Henesis, despite the base runners and his stuff has looked good. That's the main thing. Like you think about when he was going at his best in, in past years, he has been a weapon from the left side for the Cardinals, and that's an, that's something that could be very useful. You get him and Jordan Hicks back to their kind of their peak form and add that into the, the Zach Thompsons, and we saw Verhagen again today, and it was nice to see him have a pretty stable outing. You know Gio, you know Helsley, those guys are going to be there. Suddenly the, the bullpen has a different layer of depth to it that I think is uh, really prominent and could be something that the Cardinals can lean on as time goes on, especially when you give the kinds of outings like Miles Michaelis did today. You pitch into the seventh, you're going to make life a little easier on that bullpen day over day. And uh, this was a really nice recipe for the win today for the Cardinals. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, we mentioned Tim is here for the first time. What's going on, Tim? Tito is in the house. Appreciate that. Uh, Caleb asks, would I keep riding with DeYoung and Tommy as the middle infield? I would. 
I would, and it, there will come a point where this is just like falling on deaf ears, and so I'm going to let it go eventually. I would have Tommy as my shortstop and DeYoung as my second baseman. But I wondered if part of the reason that Taylor Motter was the guy to come up for Jordan Walker and not Juan Yepes was because they wanted the extra flexibility and coverage in terms of having more middle infielders, having guys at, at that last line of defense off the bench that could play anywhere, and Motter can technically do that. Uh, Yepes could stand anywhere technically, but I don't know that you're going to get a lot of effectiveness defensively from him at the same amount of positions as Motter. Um, I felt like it would be beneficial to have that extra bat, the thump off the bench when it comes to Juan Yepes, and the Cardinals have, have viewed that differently. And I and I wonder if part of it is like they had said, right, that DeYoung was going to be the utility guy, and it isn't the way that it's played out, which is fine. And if that's going to be what it is, then it is. I wonder how Tommy Eben feels about that, though. This is unfolded on the road trip. Haven't even seen him, right? Haven't gotten the chance to ask about it. And I don't know what he's been asked by the media members that are out there. And so, you know, by the time they come back, it may not even be a factor anymore. But it is one of those things that I wondered with the two errors that he made at second base, he'll never make an excuse for it. But I just thought that was a little bit strange after the way they gave him that public vote of confidence to be the shortstop. That's a lot of ranting, though, to basically say that, yes, I would continue to play these two guys. Like, Brendan Donovan has not been producing offensively quite to the level that we thought he would the first week of the season. And because of that, you just have to kind of write the hot hand. And when Paul DeYoung is doing what he's doing, certainly against left-handed pitching, you're going to have DeYoung in there. But uh, he's been getting the starts as well against righties. And, you know, in, in three of his four starts, I think it's been, he has been nails offensively and is helping to carry the team with some really good swings. So, yeah, you're going to leave him in the lineup every day. There's no doubt about that. I know Cardinals fans get fed up with Paul DeYoung when things go sour, but you got to admit when he's, when he's locked in, Paul DeYoung can be a difference maker. And people didn't like to hear that. When we talked about it in the offseason, that like, yeah, the Cardinals are going to give him another chance at this. John Mozeliak even said, you're going to, you know, you're going to roll your eyes when I say it, but Paul DeYoung, we think he could be different. Ali Marmel in the offseason said, listen, we know what it's looked like in the past, and we know, like, the feelings that exist around this player. We have seen some different things from him this winter and the way he's been going about it that this, for the first time, feels like it could be a different Paul DeYoung for me. In the past, we've said, yeah, we, we like the changes he's making. He sort of admitted that in the past that was just kind of idle talk. And this was really the first time they've seen substantial change from him and the way he goes about it and the way he commits to the changes that he wanted to make to his swing. Whether that ends up being happy talk or not, we'll find out over the course of his performance this year. But that was the buzz back going into I mean, January, before spring training even began. Had the setback with the back, and so it was very easy to write him off completely. But at this point, like you're just going to play him if he plays well. If he's hitting, nobody's going to be complaining about that. And so it will be a performance-based situation Will they have a quicker plug pull on DeYoung than somebody else in the organization that might start struggling? Yeah, his leash might be shorter, and I don't think that's unfair. I think the onus is on him at this point uh, to prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's different uh, because there have been frustrating stretches for him in the past. But again, it would be great, man. I would love nothing more than to see Cardinals fans really get back into this guy's corner because of the way he performs on the field. Like He's got to lead that charge and make it happen for himself, but that would be such a huge lift to this Cardinals team because – I have been telling everybody all offseason, take a look at Paul DeYoung and count anything he does as a bonus, right? You don't have to count on him to be an everyday player in this lineup, and then if he falters, it's like some big disappointment. You can look at it and say he's a bench guy that has the opportunity to go grab more. Um, when he came off of the IL, he immediately was given a start, which why wouldn't you uh, for a guy like that? Give him a chance or two to grab more, and he's immediately done that. So right now, yes is the answer to the question. I would have Paul DeYoung in there every day. Does that mean Gorman is DHing pretty much primarily? Yeah. Does it mean that Brennan Donovan might have to slide into an outfield spot 
on occasion if if somebody else is uh, is not performing or whatever? Or does he just kind of get put on the back burner a little bit? Um, doesn't play against lefties at all, and maybe the occasional start against righties. Yeah, I mean he's he's thrived before in a super utility role. Has Brendan Donovan? So I don't think it's the end of the world. Uh, you, you it, it's got to be somebody, right? They have decided pretty regularly that it's Dylan Carlson that's going to be the odd man out. Uh, he still could find the opportunity to change that. But on the infield, it hasn't really ever been Donovan. They have been uh, pretty committed to him. Lefty, righty, doesn't matter. And I think he's going to slide maybe a little bit more into a platoon-type role, at least until we see Pauly taper off a little bit. And if he doesn't, the Cardinals are better for that. So, yeah, I would have him as my middle infield. I maintain I would I would put Edmund at shortstop because that's what they told him they would do in the offseason. But if something has changed on that front and everybody is on the same page about it, that's the main thing. As long as Tommy's cool with it and, like, he says he's cool with it, but he's actually cool with it in his heart of hearts. I think that helps for the team chemistry uh, if, if they want to have it go that way. Personally, I think Tommy Edmond did a, a great job at shortstop and didn't really do anything to lose that job. If he loses his lineup spot that's different on a given day, he's a guy that could maybe sit at times against right-handed pitching, um, although had that recent home run as, as a, a lefty from the right side. So those are things to kind of pay attention to. Um, but, yeah, let offensive performance dictate it. Yes, those should be the middle infielders for a little while, though. That's kind of the way I view it based on the performance. Eric wants the Paul Young thing to be real, but he knows that the bubble uh, is going to burst kind of like it did last year. That's why I say, like, don't. It's okay to be excited for the, and to celebrate the successes. It does not mean that you have to say, this is the world we live in now where Paul DeYoung's an all-star. Like, we don't have, you don't have to make that leap right away. And the, you don't even have to mentally make the leap to he's an everyday player. Just know that until he tapers off, he will be an everyday player. I'd like to think that the Cardinals will be proactive in in heading that off and recognizing maybe when uh, the, the the dip begins to happen and what the maybe reason for it is. And that's where the hitting coaches come in to say, hey, Paul, you, this is what you want to do. This is where you've been, and this is why you've had success. Get right back to that, and you'll remain part of this this everyday picture. But, like, they talk a lot about competition being important on this roster because they do have a deeper position group than I think they've had in some time. And so Paul DeYoung's role in that can, can be kind of, you got to stay water. You got to be flexible and recognize that it may not always be what you thought it was going to be last week. Um, but as long as everybody's on the same page about it and recognize that the bottom line is production, I think it's going to work out for the better in the long run. And, and Trevor mentions that DeYoung can't be sat right now because he's red hot and it's hundred percent right. As long as he's swinging the bat like this, you play him. You never move him up in the lineup, by the way, you are sixth or below. Like there's no reason to tempt fate, uh, but yeah, he can absolutely be somebody that, We've seen it before in a Cardinals uniform. Can carry you when things are going well. And Tito sees me and hears me. And that is so lovely that he does. You ride the two-week young train till the wheels fall off. Yep, Brent, you said it right, man. Uh, I hope the wheels don't explode. That's a little violent. But, yes, I, I basically agree with you. Hope they can find a way to believe the first game of a series uh, is also the last game of the series. Yeah, that, that's what I tweeted out with the Zach Galifianakis gif of, like, the Cardinals front office is trying to figure out how to convince this team that every game is a getaway day. However, they can do that because uh, it's they've they finished these series pretty strong. The beginnings are a little bit questionable. Uh, Eric says they've hit into a lot of hard outs on the on the top of their stupidity. That's exactly what I kind of opened the stream by talking about. You have had a nasty combination for the Cardinals recently, where they've had some things that are bad luck, and then they've had some other wounds that are self inflicted. If you have too many things go against you on a given day, it ends up hurting you in the long run, and. You can't, like, when the luck is going against you, you don't want to be contributing to bad luck by by making bad plays. That's what the Cardinals have been doing. The margins, they're like this. They're tiny. They're slim. And when you are giving opportunities to the other team and not taking advantage of your own, whether it's through bad play or through blind luck that doesn't go your way, 
it's hard to overcome five things in a game. You might overcome one or two things in a game. One might be self-inflicted, like today with the Michaelis thing, uh, not seeing Tyrell Estrada go to second. The other one wasn't self-inflicted. That was bad luck on the the ball hit by Burleson. But then later, Dylan has one go down the line. That's that's good luck, right? Like, things can break your way. So they only had a couple of issues today, one self-inflicted, one bad luck that stood out to me, instead of four or five, where sometimes you might have one or two things go against you that shouldn't have, that you didn't have anything to do with, but then you have three more that you caused. And when that happens, you can add those up at the end of a game or a series and go, yep, this is why it swung. The margins at this level are that thin. Uh, but today the Cardinals were able to overcome it because I feel like they didn't have too many things. And you can create greatness in your own self. Andrew Kisner created a great moment and a great momentum piece by making that play at home plate. They took advantage of it thereafter. Like Those are the things that you can add up those little plays throughout a, a game and you'll be able to tell more times than not whether the team was successful or not based on how many times they're able to limit those from happening and then how do they respond to them when they do happen. Uh, the win is great, but can't sugarcoat the fact that uh, Arnado and Contreras still must improve in order to maintain success, and that's exactly right. Uh, Arnado did have a good hit today, pulled the ball to left field. It was nice to see that line drive hit that he had, uh, sort of dumping it soft liner into left field. Um, but he's also had some other at-bats where he's – He's reaching for that outside pitch, and he's still rolling it over to the shortstop. Um, and that's part of what he had tried to do when you think about why he might change his swing. It's to take that outside pitch and sometimes be willing to go the other way with it. But he's at his best when he pulls it. But there's a difference between pulling it for power and with authority and just rolling over weekly like he did a time or two today. So that's what that's what you're looking for with Arenado. And Contreras, you know, he might be kind of a streaky player. I, I still think you're going to get a lot of good things out of Contreras as time goes on. Um, but at the same time, yeah, he's he's kind of going through it a little bit right now. Um, and, and we talked a little bit about that this afternoon from a defensive perspective. But offensively, too, um, you know, not maybe quite as sharp as we saw him when he was kind of carrying the team there for a little bit. Um, obviously, today, no Contreras. Uh, sometimes you get to talking and you go, I didn't see anything from Contreras today. Yeah, it's because he didn't play. Uh, but Kisner, I mean, credit to him for having a base hit and then having the defensive play. That is what the Cardinals need from Andrew Kisner, just to be able to kind of keep the vibes and uh, to keep the level of play up on a day when Contreras is not in there. I think it was a good day to give him a day off, day day, day game after a night game, and it ends up working out pretty well because uh, Kiz contributed in a major way. Uh, let's scroll down here. Tied with Monty start in Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll give the edge here to Michaelis, honestly. And uh, Monty start, by the way, earlier this week. It didn't come in a win, but it was, was just as good. I think this was big because Michaelis hadn't had a start that went like this from the first pitch to the last pitch. He's had good moments, good stretches within outings, but then the the reason his ERA was above six before today was because eventually in those outings, somewhere along the way, he slips up. Sometimes it's the first or second inning, and you have some early trouble to work around, and then he settles in. Sometimes it's the final inning like it was in his last start, and that is not something the Cardinals are going to be successful with if he isn't able to be consistent throughout a full start and eliminate those bad you know, those black marks, those smudges on a game, if he can't eliminate those, he's not one of your your top pitchers. And the way the Cardinals are successful is when Miles Michaelis is one of their top pitchers. They signed him to an extension for a reason. It's the track record that he's had. And so that's why I really could say that this start is even more important than the stuff that Monty had done in his good starts because they need this version of Miles Michaelis. They have to have it, not just for this year, but for the next two seasons as well. And so that was today was important. And I thought it was coming the whole way. Like, you look each time, they were getting a little bit better, but he never had a shove. And this this time he shoved. And he did so when, when the team had their backs against the wall. Uh, thought of it at the end of the game that they're thinking of skipping a man start. They, they absolutely could. 
and uh, Betty Sitz versus Kershaw Saturday. Sometimes, Eric, I don't know what comment you're talking about, um, but like a Brendan Donovan, maybe a Gorman, you could have some of those guys sit against Kershaw potentially. Uh, I would say DeYoung should be in there against the lefty Kershaw. Tim, did Nato look weird running home today? Seemed like a struggle. I'll say this, yes, but do I automatically think injury with him? No, he's just not a good runner. He's not a fast runner, and he's an awkward runner. He just is. So I, you do worry when you see it look like that, but I think we've seen it before, and it's just how he runs. Not to, I mean, he's great. He's a Hall of Famer. Someday he'll be a Hall of Famer, I believe. He's just not a great runner. And so I don't think that's too big of a deal unless we hear otherwise. Uh, they need a home run celebration like some of the other teams uh, have some fun out there. I mean, they've had the pepper grinder thing. I honestly think you can chalk up a lot of the strife from the early weeks to the Cardinals internally not knowing how to handle the pepper grinder situation after it went international with Lars Newtbar and Shohei Otani. Like, remember Andrew Kisner had kind of said, well, we're going we're gonna to table that for now, and they tried to do the weird salt shaker thing, and it didn't work. Like, could the strife of the celly be what caused them issues? No, probably not, but it's fun to talk about those kinds of things. Like, it was weird. Like, why wouldn't you continue doing it just because – you know, Japan co-opted it. You, y'all started it. So I hope those days are behind them. They need to do some pepper. I, I haven't seen it re- lately, so I don't know what the update on the pepper is. But, yeah, anytime you can have more fun, loosen up out there, I think it's a positive. Uh, Billy says that DeYoung is on fire, strike while the iron's hot and dealing. No, that's just not that's just not really how it works. You can't. It's not MLB The Show where in April you have a, a guy that's performing above his head and then he gets like a, a stat boost, and so you go, now I trade him. No, nobody's out there looking for a Paul DeYoung in April unless they suffer an injury. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I get the thought, but that's just, in real life, I don't think that's really how trade uh, works. Am I potting from a Ukrainian bunker? Yeah, I do. <laughs> this is the first time that anybody's asked about my background. I've got my cat tower over there. We've got a bookshelf right there. Uh, I've got a, uh, <laughs> that's funny. The bunker wouldn't have trees in the background. You wouldn't be able to see that. Um, but I do need to do something about the mattress. Yeah, we've just got like a spare mattress in the basement. That I'll, I'll get the background uh, t- suitable. The more of these I do, eventually we'll we'll see some changes. And then there's the partition over over there. I can't point. I, I'm bad at mirrors. Uh, but that's funny. That is funny. Austin, don't be sorry you're late, man. Glad you're here. Um, not much you can do with mats, and they won't eat the money in DFA. No, but he could be a reliever. He could be a, an expensive reliever and try to find his form that way. I You could make the case that they should give him one more start. You could also make the case that they've, They've got to be desperate right now, and, and it would make sense to do something with it. Um, I wouldn't, I won't criticize either direction. If they give him another chance, or if they say, nope, we're going to be proactive and skip, or maybe it's just we're going to skip because we've got an off day coming up and we can afford to. We bump everybody else up one with the Wainwright, Wainwright return. Uh, we still have Woodford in there, take one more start, however it needs to look. And then they're able to skip him for one start that way. Uh, that's probably what they'll do, honestly, because the days will line up to where. Everybody kind of stays on the same schedule. Uh, Wainwright sort of falls into the Mats spot for one uh, one outing. And then the next time through, you go, okay, is it going to be Woodford or is it going to be Mats or is it going to be Libertor? That, w- that would buy them more time. And it would also buy time to see how the team looks to where they could overreact and say, we're screwed. We got to do something right now because we're losing games. Or they could go on a little bit of a streak and go, you know, maybe let's pump the brakes on removing a guy who we've signed for two more years and busting his confidence. Maybe it's that we're going to skip you once, figure out a way to work with you off the field and say, here's what you want to work on. And and maybe they can put that into practice and have Matt's become the guy that they thought they were getting when they signed him. That would be a really sensible way to go about it, I think. And the timing is perfect, too, because with Wayne, Wainwright coming back, you can do it without really missing a beat. And, and at the same time, you don't have to demote Jake Woodford yet. You can say, hey, Jake, we want to reward you for the way you've been pitching. Like, you've you've been battling as one of our, our starting pitchers. 
we can make this move without actually having to kind of let his hopes down. He earns one more start with what he did uh, earlier this week, and that kind of massages everything at once. I honestly think that's exactly how they should handle it, the more I talk myself through it. Uh, too bad the team's already over. The team stinks. Andrew, I know you feel that way. It might not be over, though. It's still April, and they did win today, so let's at least table the, the season over stuff for like a moment if we could. Matt's was good out of the pen last year. Bring up Libby. I Totally. I totally could see a world in which that makes sense. Uh, Eric says he thought Matt's had been improving every start. Yesterday wasn't all that bad. Yeah, but it was one of those frustrating starts for Matt's. He goes 90 pitches to get through four innings, just not efficient. Base runners all around. Had more walks than you'd like to see. I agree, though. That's not like the egregious start that you fire somebody over. That's not the start that you remove somebody out of the rotation over. But it could be a very fortuitous time to take a breather and say, we like what Woody's given us. Let's let him go one more. We're going to just give Matt's, you know, it doesn't even have to be a full five days. You can give him an extra three days to just take a take a beat, see if you can't light, choose his next start in a way that's like, okay, he's a lefty. Which team should we put him against so that we can have him maximize his ability? Maybe you've got a lefty-heavy lineup coming up, and they can, they can do it that way. Um, I think there's some merit to that potentially. I agree, though, like he wasn't egregiously bad. And he's a guy you have signed for two more years beyond this year. So as much as people don't like to hear about the money, that that does play somewhat of a factor to me. Brent wonders, uh, do you think the reason that they're holding Walker in AAA uh, till debut till May because they know he'll rake and have to be brought right back up? Uh, no, I wasn't aware that they're waiting until May for his debut in AAA. I think it may be a case of, hey, you just had this, you know, this whirlwind of a month. Uh, let's reset you a little bit. It may be a travel reason. Like, I don't know. Maybe he's the, the, the team's on the road right now, um, and they're not going to have him travel. I don't know the ins and outs of that because, Brent, that's the first time hearing of it. I would say don't read too much into it. They were trying to get him to work on some things off the field at the big league level. That was their reason for not having him in the lineup Monday and Tuesday in San Francisco. So it could be simply a case where they want him to continue that work, and then when he gets back on the field, he's able to implement some of the, the swing changes that he's been working on. Um, the, again, it may just be a timing thing. I don't, I, I don't know. I'm not familiar with it. And so I can't speak with certainty on the subject, but just hearing what it is and kind of thinking through it, some of those things might be factors. Uh, his start two stars before yesterday looked like he had made good progress talking about Matt's, especially the last one. And he did, but that was one where I think he did have still the one bad inning that sort of caught up on him. And so again, I'm not advocating just totally getting rid of Matt's. I've actually preached patience when it comes to the rotation. And I've been the guy that has said, this rotation won't be the problem you think it is in a month. And so that's that's kind of been my M.O. Uh, Matt's, though, would be the one spot that I think you could look at. But you could risk kind of damaging his confidence, his relationship with the team for a guy that you've got signed long term uh, if they were to do something too rash here. Like you have to think of you have to think of the long game in some of these situations, even though uh, when you're nine and 16 and now 10 and 16, it can be difficult to do. It can be difficult to look beyond the short term um, and feel like you do have a tomorrow when things are going badly the way that they have. Shohei will be on the bump in STL. What day is that? He pitched today, right? Shohei did. And so Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I won't be at the game Thursday is why I ask. I hope I get to see him pitch. Um, But he is a six days guy in the rotation. So it probably will be Thursday and I'll miss it. Um, That'll be kind of a bummer, but they'll be back. It's fine. He'll be, he'll be pitching here next year anyway. Right? Nah, just playing. Just playing. Matt's makes roughly what Andrew Miller makes, so the salary is not that big of a deal if he moves to the bullpen. I agree. I agree. I think that shouldn't be an impediment. Um, and it's not something where they couldn't move him back to the rotation next year if things change. 
Um, but I think it's too early to say, yeah, you're moving to the bullpen. I think it's a, uh, let's take a breath here. If you want to do anything at all, which they don't have to, they could take a breath, give him an extra few days and go from there. Talking about Steven Matz. But I agree, 11 million, it's not ideal. It would be an expensive reliever. But no, you don't need a DFA guy that you're that you're paying regardless. Like that's not, I don't think that's this conversation. How about Luke and Baker? Not enough being said about that guy. Yeah, Luke and Baker's interesting. Um, he's a guy that, you know, he profiles to do exactly what he's been doing with Memphis. He hits home runs. Uh, I, I was Googling to put up his stat numbers on my screen so that I'd be able to, to kind of be updated. I know he's had a good season with some homers. Um, but I, I typed in Luke Baker, and that's like a different person. But here's the thing about Baker. Just turned 26. So when you think of prospects and guys that have been AAA players their their entire way, a lot of times the, the late breakout, it doesn't necessarily come at the big league level. It's not to say that there's any fairness to that, because if I'm Luke and Baker, I would make the case that, well, I've just never been given a chance. You know, what would be the reason that, you know, I can't do it at the next level if I've never been given the opportunity to try? You could also look at his numbers and say some changes have clearly been made from last year to when he was a 220 hitter in AAA and he was only OPSing eight, uh, 683 in 2022 with Memphis, um, but still hit 21 home runs. So the power was there, but that, that's an inconsistent stat line. However, eight home runs off the bat this season and 92 plate appearances with an OPS of 1169. He's, he's hitting for average. He's hitting for power. He's drawing a ton of walks. He's got 19 walks to 21 strikeouts. Like, yeah, I need to get down to Memphis and find out what's going on with Luke and Baker because clearly there has been a change made. Now, whether that's going to be sustainable, whether that's something that um, he's able to parlay into an opportunity in St. Louis, I think, yes, he should. I don't know when he comes up to the uh, the five-year major leaguer and, and would end up needing to be on the, uh, the 40-man roster. I think that's after this year. He'd probably be a Rule 5 guy because he was uh, drafted in 2018, it looks like. So that's coming soon. Um, he may be a guy that, depending on where injuries happen or whatever, you could see him next uh, later on this summer as like a cup of coffee. Like, remember Kramer Robertson? He got that chance right before he would have been. Um, they saw what they saw. The league didn't decide that they were going to nab Kramer Robertson from you. I mean, they did, and then the Cardinals got him back. But, like, he's now still part of the, the organization. But Luke and Baker will come up on that point where another team, if they want to take a shot on him, and the raw power of Luke and Baker, especially if he's hitting like this, could be interesting to another organization in the Rule 5 draft. And so... I think that time could be coming where he gets his summer cup of coffee just to see. Um, but I wouldn't call him an outfielder. Uh, I assume he's a first baseman. Um, but I guess I could be wrong about that. I, I, I haven't seen him play. Like, I haven't been watching uh, a lot of Memphis this year, uh, regrettably. But uh, clearly the stats tell you it's been different. Yeah, first baseman, designated hitter. You're not going to stick Luke and Baker in the outfield. Think Luke Voigt, that that experience, you know. So uh, I, I think, though, Luke and Baker, the bat, is certainly making noise right now. Keep doing that for another few weeks, and, and we'll continue to talk about it for sure. Uh, the build reminds him of Muncie. Uh, so here's the thing about that. Max Muncie, I'm going to take a moment. Sorry if this is bad radio, um, but I'm going to take a moment to make sure I've got this right. Max Muncie is six foot. Luke and Baker is ginormous. He's six four and built that way. So if you stand next to him, you see it. Like I in past spring trainings, you go, holy crap, this guy's a mountain. Um I can remember when the Arenado trade happened. It was like Luke and Baker deserves to go to the Rockies to hit at Coors Field. Like that's what he deserves for his best life. Uh, it didn't end up happening. They sent Elias Montero, obviously, um, but that was like I I was rooting for that just because I was rooting for Luke and Baker to be the first baseman of the Rockies just to see what it would look like. Uh, but yeah, the Max Muncie build is not quite. This dude towers over Max, Max Muncie, but is is yeah kind of stocky like him. 
hefty boy, but uh, he's clearly getting a lot out of that body this year with the home runs he's hitting. Um, yeah, NFL linebacker. He's more like an N- he's more like a defensive end. I don't know if he's got the speed of a defensive end in the NFL, but like six four two eighty is what they list him at. So there's maybe some merit to that. Uh, Robert says you saw Walker in the Memphis lineup tonight, so maybe I got some bad information. Yeah. I'm not vetting any of this, guys. I'm just trusting I'm trusting that you guys won't bring me bad info because it's hard to type and do other stuff at the same time. Um, let's see. I think I've gotten to most of the questions. It's been a little lighter today, which is okay. Um, I think everybody's just probably getting home from work, doing their dinner thing. Um, the late night, I mean, this is helpful for me to know. Like, I like to know when the best opportunity to do a live stream would be, that people are able to watch it, able to interact with it. So that's, I mean, this is kind of good to know that we've had a great time here, but maybe not as as many people have been able to show up as do at 11 p.m., which is which is interesting. I wanted to get to the NFL draft tonight, though, because I am going to, the more I've been thinking about it, the more I'm, I am probably going to watch that. So uh, Brent says, I want the team to start hitting and winning games so that you can start mock trading for Shane Bieber. Uh, yes, I guess so, <laughs> but what are you going to trade? It's going to be some pitching prospects. Uh, it's going to be some of those hitters that maybe are a little bit superfluous. You'll have to carry the trade with really good pitching prospects, and then you'll have to to probably ask, okay, which outfielders do you want, if any? Which infielders do you want? And it may hurt you, the answer. Uh, so that's why I think Shane Bieber is still more of a long shot, but I, I definitely could see it. I think this has been good, guys. Uh, I'm going to wrap things up right about here. We're going to throw this on B-Shape Daily's podcast feed as well um, and, and get things rolling with that. Make sure you subscribe, though, to the YouTube before you leave. We will continue to have these videos coming up. And one other thing, I'll let you know when I'm not going to be doing a video. Like next Thursday, I can tell you already it won't be happening uh, because I'll be at a concert on May 4th, the night of uh, Price Shohei pitching at Bush. So like, oh, well, but, you know, we're going to be, you know, the, you, you plan these things, and, and uh, it happens sometimes that we've been very consistent with a lot of these videos, a lot of podcasts, but that'll be a night where it doesn't happen. Uh, and there will be others throughout the summer for sure. But I appreciate you guys and the sports you're giving me. One quick uh, plug for Patreon, patreon.com slash bshafer12 is where you can support me. Uh, and you'll also have access coming up to some bonus content. Going to be doing some more podcasts over there as well that you'll only have access to with the Patreon. And you'll say, that's fine. I'll do it whenever uh, you start doing the podcast, which is fair. I've done one of them, uh, but more will be coming. Wait till May 1st, though, to sign up to the Patreon because you don't want to get charged at the end of the month. It's like a monthly thing. I think I can fix that. Nevertheless, thank you guys for subbing. Thanks for liking the stream. Thanks for watching, interacting, commenting. Uh, Let me know, too. Always give me feedback about how I'm doing, what I'm doing, what you'd like to see me do more of. Uh, The Twitter spaces today was a new experience that was pretty cool. And uh, I wish Elon Musk would just give creators a way to, like, make money on that, make an income. Um, But a daily midday show is something that I could definitely see happening when we're talking a lot of Cardinals um, because a lot of the work I do is from home during the day. So uh, appreciate that. Appreciate you guys joining. And we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily Live. Peace.